We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Welcome to the gathering. Um, It is good to be back. Me and my family, we were in Oklahoma, and we were at a camp telling kids about Jesus, and it was fun. It was fun. The, The theme of the camp was to trust in the Lord with all your heart, and to lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways to acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. We studied that for a week with two, 300 kids and uh, thanks for praying and uh, uh, we had a blast. So, um, hey, just just to pause and, and, and um, to acknowledge um, the presence that that I feel in the room as your pastor. It just seems like there's some heavy hearts. There's some fear. Uh, there, there's there's layers of 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 a, of a lot of things going on right now. Uh, and in the just in in that context of trust in the Lord, can we just bow our heads one more time? And can we trust Him together? And I think I'd like to just lead us and lead our thoughts, lead our minds, and lead our prayers to, um, since we are gathering in person, would you pray for the person across the aisle? You know, just, just bow your head, and, and let's, let's think of one person in this room or watching online with us, and pray that they would trust in the Lord. They're going through the same things, just in a little different light, but, they, but this is a challenging time. And would you pray for someone specifically right now? And I'll just close us in prayer, okay? So, Lord, we we praise you that this is how your spirit works. That when when we listen, that he brings to mind, he raises to the surface the saints of the Lord. And through the work of the church, that you, you edify people, you lift them up. And... Lord, I'm just sensing just branches that are dragging to the ground and they need, they need to be lifted up. Would you do that? Would you help this congregation trust you with all their heart? Would you help this church lean not on their own understanding or, or skill set or experience, but that they would Holy, depend on the person that is whole, and that is Jesus. Lord, you know our brokenness, and you know that we are full of holes. And we're, we're, we're actually grateful for that, because then we can trust you. We can rely on you in our weaknesses. In our weakness, you are made strong. And so would you tend to this bride this morning? We're asking and trusting for you to be faithful in that promise. And we're excited to see what will happen as a result. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we are um, we're in a short series called Sustained Revival, and it's a series on discipleship. And, um, and it's been a good time. It has been a good time. We are praying as a church, uh, and we've started this prayer uh, early this year. 
that, Lord, in our lifetime, would you bring about a third great awakening? Would you awaken us? Would you open our eyes and our hearts? Would you cause a revival to happen? Um, and uh, it's going to only happen by the prayers of his saints. It's only going to happen by the Holy Spirit doing a great work in people's lives. And it's only going to happen if the saints of the Lord are faithful to put their hand to the plow and farm the field that God gives them. Um, so we are, we're studying about that. We're studying what it means to make disciples with our lives. Uh, so, hey, let's, let's start off with a little review, okay? So this is two weeks old review. Are you ready? Kind of jostle your brain. Here we go. Here's a couple questions for us, okay? So last two weeks ago, we studied about how Jesus called his disciples and he says, hey, follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. And we, we talked about how Jesus spent the majority of his public ministry, those three years uh, of public ministry, spending devoted time to 12 ordinary men, okay? But especially he devoted his time of the 12 to three. Can anyone name one of them? Like, let's just see, let's just see if we got them. Who did Jesus spend especially like devoted time to three people of the 12? Peter? James? John, nice job. Well done. Good. So Peter, James, and John. So the principles that we're learning as we make disciples to encourage you that Jesus doesn't say, hey, go and make, like, hey, you, I want you to disciple the whole world. Jesus has a certain strategy of ministry, and he says, hey, I want you to focus on a few and allow um, my model to multiply into others and have them multiply into others. So good job. All right, number two. So we, we are adding or, or learning more about this thing called making disciples. The first week we said making disciples means helping people follow Jesus, right? And two weeks ago we said that, um, and I'm going to look for a word here, it is making disciples is doing Blank spiritual good for another. We're looking for an adjective. Doing spiritual good for another. It rhymes with schmerliberate. It starts with a D. Doing, wow, someone back there is really sharp. Man, he must be from Tennessee. Good. Doing deliberate good, right. So we talked about how it's not necessarily just these random acts of kindness, although we should be kind to others and we should be moved by the Spirit to randomly do things, but we saw that Jesus had a deliberate method to his life, right? Yes, he went around and, and, and like did acts of kindness, but he was deliberate and strategic. And so when we say we want to make disciples with our lives, that we're saying we want to follow the methods of Jesus. We're saying that he was deliberate, and let's learn what that means with our life. All right, last one. Here we go. Making fishers of men involves training. Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you fishers of men. It wasn't just this instant thing. Oh, yeah, I got this now. I spent five. It's a, it's a learned thing because being a disciple is a learner, a student, an apprentice of Jesus. So it involves training, right? For what purpose? So the principle that we learned was that the strategy of Christ had, has the long-term goal of producing blank. It's kind of discipleship lingo, but it is very helpful language. So the strategy of Christ had the long-term goal of producing re, yeah, there it is. Everyone hear that? So when you want to make a disciple, it's not like I'm just going to like raise up a baby and then leave them. It's I want to train them and help them so that they would be equipped and ready to also be fishers of men. So it is a training process, which is a good, good process. So today, uh, let's, let's start our time and continue to learn the ways of Jesus and to learn how he has designed um, us to fulfill the Great Commission, okay? All right, so kids, anyone know what this is? 
Oh, oh, <laughs> that's right. That's right, Dad. That's right. Okay, this is a baton. All right. Now, in the sport of track and field, <laughs> in the sport of track and field, okay, one of my favorite events is the four by 100. Anyone know that one? All right. Obviously, the whole goal of this race is to run fast, okay? Four by 100, one lap around the track with four people, okay? Four people, each running about 100 yards. And their job, kids, is each runner is to take this baton and they are to pass it to their next teammate, to their next runner, okay? But you got to do it in a certain way. You can't fling it. You can't throw it. You have to pass it to them. And it's got to be within the zone. It's got to be in between the arrows. And it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of training, okay? You got to practice the reach. You got to practice the steps. You got to practice the timing. It takes a lot of work, but it is so fun. It's a great event. If, uh, if I were to share my journey of, of learning Jesus and his strategy and, and uh, his methods of gospel advancement, I would say that my view of the church growing up uh, was a lot like um, the shot put in track and field. Honestly, kind of a boring event, right? The church... You know, the shot put, yeah, yeah, that's a part of track and field. Like, you should go to see the shot put people, and they, like, throw this ball, whatever. But the real action for me growing up, this is my journey and perception of the church and discipleship, would be that the real action is the four by 100 relay, i.e. the discipleship, like the real ministry, the Monday through Saturday of life, the one-on-one -on -one with people, because I kind of viewed church as like, yeah, that's something that you do or that you go to, but discipleship, that's where it's at. And the Lord has been gracious to me over the years to help me learn the ways of Jesus and to help me learn that Jesus loves the church, that he came and purchased a bride. He gave his, his very life for the church and the church, meaning the gathered saints of God and the scattering is his method and strategy of helping people follow Jesus. So two weeks ago, we said that biblical discipleship is following the strategy of, of Christ. Today, we're saying that discipleship embraces the strategy of the church. So discipleship isn't just this one-on-one -on -one thing that exists on your own and is up to you. All throughout the scripture, we see chock full these commands to the community to together assemble so that we can follow Jesus. Together come and take of the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a way that we follow Jesus. Together come together and sing and follow Jesus. Together bear with one another burdens. Together come and sit and submit yourself under the teaching and preaching of God's word. Together, be a part of public praying. All of this, the church accomplishes and helps her, helps us follow Jesus. To say it pointed, the church and discipleship should not be divorced. Well, how? How do... How does that happen, right? So instead of just like gleaning from ideas or nice thoughts from Newman, let's go to the Bible and see what God thinks, okay? So our text today is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Go ahead. If you have your Bible, turn with me there. Turn with me there. The title of today's message is Discipleship Embraces the Strategy of the Church. And there's going to be two points today. And we have them up on the screen for you. Point one is preaching to pass the baton. So we'll stick with this running theme. 
And number two is from the pulpit to the pew. From the pulpit to the pew. So let's go ahead and read 2 Timothy. And let's do this this morning, okay? Um, just to, because we're, we're in each other's presence once again. We longed for, missed each other. Um, let's go ahead and read this verse all together um, with all of our voices, not just me. And we will listen to each other and be encouraged by it. Okay, so turn to 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Remember, the, the T's are together. And I will be reading out of the ESV. You can see I'm just jostling around a little bit with my microphone. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Are we ready to read together? And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Isn't that great? This is the word of the Lord. All right, so I love this verse. All growing up, man, I thought this was the coolest discipleship verse. And, and it is, and it is. But I thought that the coolest part of it was the latter half of the verse, which is point two. But I missed the, the emphasis of what was happening in the very beginning of the verse. So let's study it together. Point one, preaching to pass the baton, okay? So what was Paul doing here? He's speaking to Timothy, and he's, he's, he's writing to him, and he is referring to a specific time or a specific venue. He's saying, hey, Timothy, I spoke to you something, and it happened in the presence of many witnesses. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about public preaching. Paul is saying, when I was preaching in the assembly and you were amongst the people. So right here, we're beginning to, to value the formal assembly of God's people. We're, 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 we're going, oh, preaching is not something that is like just nice to have, but really when it comes to discipleship, it's like, it's just like cooler to think about. Mm, I just, preaching's like this mm, thing that's out of style, or maybe it's a certain educational strategy and God isn't quite up with the times. But God is saying through his word that preaching is the method that he wants to use to cause people to know and grow in him. So, so we're learning about preaching as it relates to discipleship, okay? And so we're seeing that, that preaching, this word preaching, like when I preached, and, to, and next week we're going to talk about um, Colossians 1.28, and we proclaim him. This word preach means keruso, proclaim, announce, or herald. And we can deduct from that that the preaching isn't simply a conversation. It's not a discussion. It's not just a series of stories. It's certainly not a, a, a man standing up and giving suggestions or even tips for living. Preaching is declaring God what he says, and what we should do. And if we want to disciple our church, then the pulpit must be absolutely essential to our people's growth in him. Amen? So the formal preaching of God's word from the pulpit to the congregation must be involved in the discipleship process. Um, we say, and, and if, you, if you're new to church, it's okay, but like we want you to learn the language of preaching and value it and love it and crave it. So I'm gonna use a word here and, and, it's, and it might sound technical, but let's just learn it together. It's called expository preaching. 
expository preaching. That is taking God's word and not just going, here's a verse, here's what it means, here's a verse, here's what it means, here's a verse, here's what it means, like a talking commentary. But expository preaching is taking the main message of the text and exploding it. It's, it's bringing it forth and it's delivering it for the people of God and calling them to change. Delivering it with an unction to change. This is the role of the pastor elder. Paul in Acts 20, when he was talking to the elders on this beach and just weeping his eyes out. He just gained such a heart and vision for the ministry of elders. What they are to do to the people of God. With, re- with regards to their function of preaching and teaching. And in verse 27 of chapter 20, he says, For I did not shrink back from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So one of the best ways that elders can care for the flock of God, watch over them, protect them, is to preach to them the whole Bible. (laughs) Isn't that great? And so at this church early on, we decided, you know what? We're not that creative or cool. We better teach God's people the Bible book by book. And so that's that's what we do. Because we're not like better than the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so, um, so we want to teach you the Bible. And this, this labor of love, that is the weekly, in a, like Sunday after Sunday, preaching of God's word. The preacher shepherds the flock of God that he knows. Um, a, a pastor um, about 100 years ago uh, named Martin Lloyd-Jones was once, he was once asked um, by one of his members in the congregation, hey, would you disciple me? Would you disciple me? And his response was, oh, I would love to. Why don't you come and sit under the preaching of God's word for 13 weeks and then we'll talk? <laughs> I share that story because it, it's pointed in this culture and in society, right? Like it, it could certainly be misunderstood that the job of the pastor is only to preach. And if that is the role of the pastor just to preach, well, then he's not a pastor. He is a public speaker, right? This is, this is a good topic of discussion because we're talking about my role in this church right now. So if I'm only committed to standing here on Sunday morning and declaring the Bible, but I'm not willing to pastor and get into the pew, then I'm not a pastor, I'm a public speaker. But today we're learning from this verse that the role of preaching is absolutely essential in the life of of the believer. And it is God's strategy and method to advance the gospel. Preaching. Amen? So let's just get real specific, okay? And this will be edifying for years and years for us. It's you understanding my role during the week. Okay? So um, some of you may not have thought about this, like what does the pastor do during the week? Like how does he spend his time? And if, if we were to like oversimplify it just for communication purposes, I would say my role is havesies. It's, it's to preach and to pastor, okay? To preach and to pastor. And so essentially for about half of the week, You are saying and like wanting and declaring, hey, Newman, hey, Pastor Mike, buckle yourself and strap yourself in your chair, in your study, in God's word, because we're hungry to hear it. We want it. And so prepare well and deliver it to us for our joy. Like be lost in it. Like, we want you to know it well. Don't be so, uh, like, don't be so about Fox News. Don't be CNN guy. Don't be about sports stats. We want the word. 
That's what we want from our pastor. Feed us. Don't give us vitamins. Give us meat and potatoes. Give us the word of God. And so for a good 20 hours a week, the labor of the pastor is to be studying and preparing to teach the congregation the Bible. That's the strategy of God. And the other half is to be with people and to, to pastor them and counsel, and that takes on different forms. If you want to pray for me as your pastor, pray for me on Fridays, okay? Fridays especially, I'm devoted to the preaching of God's word in preparation for it. And so I lock myself, I work from home on Friday. I try not to call. I try not to text. I try not to do a whole lot of emailing. I try to commune with God in the particular text that is going to be preached on Sunday. I wrestle with it. Fridays are hard for me. And they should be. Pastors should like people. And so, like, I want to be with people. But I'm like, it takes discipline and hard work to sit down and wrestle with God. What are you saying, God? And what should I say? And it should be closely tethered together. And I pray that you would pray for me. I often get text early in the morning before I'm in my study saying, hey, Mike, I'm praying for you today. And I want you to pray in a godly and selfish way. Here's what I mean. I pray that Mike would have the greatest Friday ever so that my joy would be complete upon hearing God's word. I want to treasure Christ so much with my life that I need solid preaching. And so I pray for the pastor today that he would not answer any phone calls or texts, that he would not be tempted to this way, but that he would be in the study so that I would treasure Jesus above everything. Would you pray for me, especially on Fridays? Hopefully that's just some clear, good, honest direction for you. So just to summarize, this is point number one. God has placed preaching, preaching of God's word as a central component in the discipleship process and strategy for the church to grow up in Christ and to help others grow in him. Preaching is not divorced from discipleship. It is a vital part of it. Point number two. So let's go from the pulpit to the pew now. Okay, let's read the the uh, the latter half of this. I'll read it in its entirety. We're going to focus on the latter half and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Okay, so let's just do a little Bible study together. Paul's got a vision for his preaching. How many people? Or better question, how many generations are in mind when Paul preaches? How many generations? How many groups of people? So we've got Timothy. He's talking to Timothy, okay? And then he says to Timothy, he is to what? And trust the faithful men, there's two. And it's just supposed to stop there with them, right? No, no, no. So Paul is preaching to them and past them and beyond them so that others might hear the message that he has been preached, that is being preached. Three generations in mind when he is preaching, okay? And uh, we, we just have this great picture to show you so that you have a visual of what Paul is doing here. Amy, can you throw that up there? All right, so this was taken by a friend um, to some Indian pastors. And you look, you see Paul in the, in the front. This is after 2 Timothy 2 2. And Paul is entrusting the, the message. He's preaching and he's saying, Hey, Timothy, which is the, the, that line behind him. My call to you is you are to take these things and entrust them to who? To faithful men. To faithful men. And then train them and entrust so that those faithful men will in turn teach the masses. And if you see it, it's hard to see it, but in the yellow letters it says, to others. So Paul is preaching to a congregation with very strategic vision in mind. 
He's saying, I'm going to pass the baton to you, Timothy. And I want you to take the baton. And I want you to give it to faithful men. And I want them to give it to others. Timothy, entrust these truths to faithful men. All right, so let's study this a little bit. Okay, entrust. Okay, the word entrust. It's trust them. Trust them with the message. Right? So it's not just not just parrot a message like okay this timothy now is saying exactly the things that i'm saying it's not that it's not just hey timothy parrot or dispense the word of god like i gave it to you it's entrust the word of god to them it's it's minister with the word of God, not just spout it off. Like I've got a couple cool verses for you. I've got a couple messages and now you got it. It's make sure and trust to the next generation so that they will read the word of God correctly and be able to handle it correctly and apply it to their life and others correctly. So it's, it's this process of entrusting. Just to quickly get a snapshot of the application, we've got to just ask, who are you entrusting the message to? Right? So we're learning, wow, discipleship includes, it's not just a part, but like the church is the program for discipleship. And it's the strategy of worldwide kingdom advancement and preaching is essential to it. And now the pew receives the baton and they are to entrust it to others. What kind of other people from Timothy to men, what kind of men? So it says faithful men. So we've got to wrestle with that adjective together, right? What does faithful men mean. And I would say at a bare minimum, it says, it, it would mean like men or people having faith, <laughs> right? Like these people entrust the message to, the, to people of faith. That's the bare minimum, okay? So how do you know if this person has faith? I think a great simple step is you just ask them, <laughs> <laughs> like, hey, how did you come to faith? Hey, do you know the Lord? Right? So this is what is called the, the, the process of church membership. Like, hey, are you a Christian? How did you come to know the Lord? And this is what we have asked, right? This is what we do in our membership process. Like, lesson one when we start the class is, so tell us how you came to know the Lord. It is so essential the heart of it is right here because we're preaching and we want to advance the gospel. It's so evangelistic when we say, tell us how you came to faith. Because we want to entrust the message to you so that you will in turn teach others. And so it is a grand call for all who have faith to join the church so that you can be a part of the process of discipleship. That's what we want to do. Not, not masking anything, just trying to be as clear as possible. So, when did you come to faith? That's the bare minimum with, with reading this verse of entrust it to people of faith. But it doesn't, it doesn't quite read like that. It says faithful men. I think it just goes a little bit deeper than just, ah, hey, you got faith? All right, let's go for it. Faithful men would be men who are, who are full of faith. They are bearing the fruit of their faith. They're faithful to God. That's a consistent outward pattern of living faithfully unto the Lord. Uh, and I love, uh, it, uh, if you're new to the, the Christian lingo or ministries or whatever, that, that, that's cool. There's a ministry out there called The Navigators. It was started by a bunch of people on boats, right, in the Navy, um, helping people follow Jesus. And this is how they describe faithful men in this verse, okay? They say, you got to look for fat Christians, F-A-T, 
faithful, available, and teachable. That's the kind of faithful men we're looking for when it comes to like imparting and entrusting the message of the gospel to the next generation. Are you fat? All right, come on board. Here we go, right? I, lo I love that. It's memorable and uh, it's, it's something tangible to hold on to. It's not so subjective. It's like, is this person faithful? Is it available? Are they teachable? Well, let's go for it then. So, who are you to entrust the message of the word of God to? It's to faithful men. We are to entrust these things to faithful men. So the strategy would be to take what is being taught and help someone seek God by pursuing him with the message. Like with what is being taught to apply it to your life and the next person. And the kind of person that you're looking for as you are seeking to live your life for God and make disciples is a fat Christian or someone who's like really hungry to be used by God. Like I, I, want, I want in. I want to like help other people know and grow in Christ. I want to do deliberate good. And so this person is going to like be hungry for it. They're going to show up. They're like going to be available. They're going to be teachable. They want it. This is what Paul is saying to Timothy. Be on the lookout for these kind of people. And like we just glean from this text that the great commission that Paul's talking about and that he's taken from Jesus isn't some sort of like nice idea or like some cool game or something. This is not like some club or some popularity. It's like so serious to Paul. There's like this, this urgency. You can just feel it in him. He wants the gospel to go forth. And so he's saying, hey, focus on a few. And I'm applying it to the church. Like Jesus paid his, the price for us. Let's do this. It's like our marching orders. We're soldiers. And so entrust these truths to faithful men. We glean that that this is like a matter of, of life and death. And as followers and learners of Jesus, let's pray and seek to be faithful. I really, I've really never met a Christian that has ever said, eh, I don't really feel like living for Christ. I don't really care if my life counts for Christ. Or, you know, I've never really met anyone like that, right? Like everyone lungs in the deepest part of their hearts to meet Jesus one day and to have our Savior look upon us and say, hey, well done, good and, and what's the word? Good and faithful servant, you serve me. Hey, thank you, right? Um, Hannah's dad, my father-in-law, his name was John Weber, and he would always say this, don't strive to be spectacular, strive to be faithful. And at his funeral, that quote was said over and over and over again. That was the message of his life. Too oftentimes, I am concerned about being spectacular. I remember going to college and the pressures that I felt was year one out of college, I need to hit a home run. But really what God is saying is kind of what Anna says in Frozen 2, kids. Like, do the next right thing. Have you guys seen that? <laughs> By the way, Anna didn't make that up. It was Elizabeth Elliot. Elizabeth Elliot said, do the next thing. <laughs> so it wasn't Anna. Sorry. Let's talk about one more thing, and then we'll bring it to a close, okay? So I memorized this verse um, 10, 15 years ago in the NIV, and it says, and the things you have heard me say. Uh, this is the ESV, and it says, and what you have heard me say. So we're talking about, like, what is it that I pass on? There's a question of content, right? Um, like, Paul spoke something, and he's saying, what I spoke, I want you to take it and, and, and trust it. So if we're going to take this verse seriously, we've got to at least start the conversation 
by asking, what are the things that I am to entrust to others, <laughs> right? What am I supposed to be passing along? Um, and so let's, let's start answering this question in layers, okay? So the first layer, I would say, if you're going to be like ultra Bible focused and like, like preach the context is king, context is king, you would go, well, first and second Timothy, right? That would be this, this expositional way to answer it. Like the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. And what we know is I've told you first Timothy, Timothy, and I've told you second Timothy, Timothy. And so everything that I told you in those letters entrust to others, right? That would be like hyper biblicist. And I think that's, it's a, it's a good answer. It really is. Um, and, and so that would be the baton to pass, but we know that like, in, in, I mean, we, we preached the book of Luke our first year as a church. Were we in sin because we didn't preach First and Second Timothy? <laughs> you know, no, come on. So it's like there's more than just those letters in the whole council of God's word. So what, is, what are the things, uh, plural? And this is where some get really excited, and then some might get a little overwhelmed, like, oh, no, right? Am I supposed to like teach Leviticus to someone? I don't think I'm ready to do that, you know? And then like fears creep in, like what if, what if I start teaching or entrusting to someone and I start teaching them things and they ask me about those things and I don't know the answer. And then we as, as people, as Christians that are just broken inside start like going, uh, I, don't, I don't think I'm cut out for this, Right? So let's continue to ask the things question, and then, and then we are going to just enjoy learning Jesus together for the next decades. It's going to be awesome. So an, another way you could answer the things question, this is another layer, um, is, is would be to say the first things. Like Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 said, for I delivered to you, as of first importance, what I also received. So like the essentials, like the, the main doctrines of scripture. Okay. The, and, and Paul says, here they are, that Christ died for our sins. So it'd be the doctrine of Christ. It'd be the doctrine of sin. It'd be according to the scriptures. So it'd be the doctrine of the scriptures, inerrancy and, and inspiration and infallibility and sufficiency that he was buried, that he raised on the third day, there's the resurrection, and, and in accordance with the scriptures, there it is again, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the 12, and it goes on, right? But that's, that was his main message. So he didn't come to these cities, towns, to Corinth and go, all right, I got to tell you, the most important thing is this is who you should vote for to be your mayor, town governor, whatever. He was like, there are more important things, and these are the things that I want to entrust to you. So these would be the foundations of the Christian life, right? And over the years, uh, many have answered that question differently. Like, what are the foundations? What are the, what's the first tier doctrines, we could say? And, and so just to mention a few of them to continue to grow and edify as a church, it would be like, for sure, the gospel like, we got to know what the gospel is in, in, in not an anemic form or fashion, but a robust understanding of God, of man, of Christ, and our response. Uh, we've got to know the Trinity, right? We can't just say, like, uh, yeah, yeah, there's God, but it's kind of the glob God, and he's this, uh, whatever, I can't understand. We've got to, like, be specific, We've got to like be passionate about specificity with who Jesus was because he was distinct and is distinct from other gods. We've got to know who the Holy Spirit is. We've got to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit, right? So if you think, you know, someone comes to Christ, what are the first things that you're going to teach them? Those would for sure would be some of them. Some other things would be like the security of a believer or a biblical assurance of salvation, um, Things like how to grow as a Christian, how to pray, um, how to read your Bible and understand it, the importance of the church, right? So these are, these are like the first things. 
as related to, hey, and the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses. Hey, entrust these first things to others. That's like, that's another way. I'm trying not to conquer the whole world in a sermon, yet I'm trying to answer it not so narrowly. For instance, in, in the process of discipleship, in the book of Titus, in chapter 2, he would answer it like this. Hey, women, here's how I want you to disciple. If you're an older woman, teach the younger women. Teach them to love their husbands. I'll, I'll, I'll read it for you. Teach what is good. And so train young women to love their husbands and children. Teach them to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Isn't that interesting? So like, like Paul to Titus didn't take the doctrinal approach, as some would say. He's like, hey, teach them to love. So that's a part of discipling, is helping people love their Helping women love their husbands and helping them raise their children in the Lord and helping them with all sorts of stuff. And he says, hey, men, watch this, said Titus. This is funny. Hey, men, be self-controlled. <laughs> Isn't that great? <laughs> hey, stop doing that. Be self-controlled. He says, older men, teach younger men to be self-controlled. That's life on life, isn't it? For an older man to take a younger man under his wing and say, hey, I love you enough to say you're out of control here. I want to help you be self-controlled here by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're overwhelmed right now, let me give you another layer. And this is the most simple layer. Okay. And this, this is absolutely strategic. It may not make all the cool websites or magazines, but this is the vision of the church. Yes, this church, but this is what the church at Broad does. Watch this, okay? Hey, in the things that you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will in turn teach others. Here's the simple approach, ready? What you hear preached on Sunday, like the text that we study today, like right now, <laughs> right? You don't have to like go out and buy some cool curriculum or whatever. Right here, this verse, I'm entrusting it to you. Take it and entrust it to someone else. Like teach it and, and, and help someone learn it and live it. This is a really good and simple strategy. We would say this is simple church. It's the plan of the church. Hey, we preach it on Sundays, and then we meet in community groups. We discuss it, and we apply it in our lives, and then we look to and trust it to others. And then we watch God work by his word, by his spirit. So entrusting it means to explain it and to speak it and to help someone believe it and then follow it with their life. So, friends, brothers and sisters, right now, you are in the presence of many witnesses. What you're learning right now, pay it forward this week. I think that would be the message of the text. Like, pay it forward this week. Take these truths, this specific truth of discipleship, and teach it. And counsel it and look, counsel with it. Look for opportunities to bring it up in conversation. Talk about it and then come back and let's learn from week to week to seek to love and obey God through the scriptures, not just as individuals, but as a church, as we seek to love the Lord, to love one another and to reach out to the lost. So let's close our time. The question that I think you got to ask when teaching this text, when preaching it, when declaring it, would be this. Who are your others? This is, this is a, a question to like sit on and ask the Lord and beseech him, Lord, I want to be used. 
who are you sending me to? I want to, I want to take the message. I want to entrust it to others. I want to do deliberate good in the lives of a few. Who are my others? And if you are a Christian, you are in this chain link of 2 Timothy 2.2. And I think what God would have you here this morning is that he doesn't want the message to stop with you. He wants, he wants you to take the baton. He wants you to receive it. And he wants you to pass it on to others. So my friends, I would encourage you this week, look to do this. Look to pass the baton. Get in the zone. Train. Work hard. Count those steps. Reach out. Communicate. And entrust it to someone else. Let's pray together. And so, Father, by your Son, we're just... We're asking that your Holy Spirit would stir up within us a desire and a heart to go, to make disciples, to entrust these truths to the faithful ones who will in turn teach others. Would you help this congregation be a, a congregation that passes the baton? We thank you for your word, and from it flows words of eternal life. We know that they don't return void, and so we're asking that the words would go out from here and they would be received by your people and that your people would take them and pass them on to others. We are humbled that we get to take part in the process. And we love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.